Welcome to Resilient Entrepreneurs, the podcast where we speak with business owners and entrepreneurs from all around the world and from all walks of life in the hopes that something you hear will leave your business a little richer. We're your co-hosts, Vicky and Laura from Two for One Branding, supporting new entrepreneurs as they launch their business and offering you the tools that you need to succeed. It's why we invite experienced, successful entrepreneurs to share their wisdom with you on this podcast. If you love hearing their stories, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening or watching on right now. You'll be notified of the next great episode. Today, we have invited Faisal Abid for a conversation. He is a trailblazing entrepreneur and a disruptor. He brings innovation to industries where you wouldn't traditionally find it, such as the crematorium he co-founded in Canada. Faisal, welcome to Resilient Entrepreneurs. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this conversation. It's so different from uh, any other entrepreneurs we've talked to so far. So before we get too deep into what you're doing now, I'd love to go back um, in time and learn a little bit about you and how you grew up and what your childhood was like. Were you entrepreneurial as a kid? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was an entrepreneur in school, trying to figure out the the best way to get a lot of good marks without doing a lot of work. I ran for like student council election, all that stuff, but I was by no means a A plus student. I was always like A minus, B plus, but trying to just figure out my way there. So I don't know if that's entrepreneurial, but I was always like, yeah, I mean, I don't like the word, but hustler where we just kind of got stuff done. I like the word hustler. (laughs) Okay, okay, sounds good. Sounds good, yeah, there we go, there we go. And so we understand that you did formal education a little differently to the mainstream. Is that Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I did elementary, obviously, went to high school. And in high school, actually, at the end of elementary, I got into computers a lot. And I think that is all because of The Matrix. I watched the movie. I wanted to be Neo. And I just got into computers a lot. And I started something like I was just building, I was pirating a lot of apps. I was pirating like Visual Studio, which is what you typically use to build apps and just figuring out how to build stuff. And then I went to high school. I got this opportunity to end up writing a book on a programming language that I got really into. So I did that in like grade 10, grade 11. I co-authored that. And then what happened was university started. And when that started, that was a moment of like, do I really want to do four years of this or do I want to kind of like, again, short circuit the system and do something of my own? I've always been inspired by Bill Gates. So I said, you know what, I'm going to think about dropping out, but I wouldn't drop out with the sake of just like, all right, I'm dropping out. It was more so let's start a business. And I got into this, uh, Android had just come out and the idea was I had this idea of let's build something, started building something called and spot, which was supposed to be like a, a social marketplace where it was a better version of Android market and app store. Um, so I started that in like first year university. In second year university, I started to go, you know what, maybe this has legs. And so I told my parents, give me like a year, I'll be back in school. In my mind, I knew I was never going back, but I did that. And then that's when I just never went back. So even when the business ultimately shut down, I just went and got a job because I said, there's no point in going back when I've done more than what most students my age have done. So might as well just apply for a job. Sounds incredibly entrepreneurial to me. (laughs) It was in your blood. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. What do you love most about being an entrepreneur now? I think what I love the most is just being able to do a lot of interesting, fun stuff, it never feels like work. There's a lot of like effort put in, but it's not like, oh, you know, I have to wake up and go to my job and do all this. It's always fun. And even I've been lucky, the companies that I have worked for, I've had the opportunity to choose the companies I worked for. So I got to learn a lot from them and I got paid to learn, which was always great. And then when I decided I want to learn something else, I said, okay, peace out. Because ultimately the whole idea was, I had run a business before when I dropped out. Then I had run a couple of businesses that did work out pretty well. But then the idea was I want to do something big again and where I'm like full-time, full-time on it. And so I was just waiting for the right moment. And as you mentioned, Irene, 
was that moment where I said, okay, I'm going to do that. But looking back, there was never like, okay, you know what? I'm like, that's it. I'm, I'm done business. I'm never going to do it again. It was just like, I'm just waiting for that right moment. But I was always building something. And that's what I really like about being an entrepreneur. You just get to build a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. So tell us about Irene. So for those listening and watching, like most people probably have not heard of it, unless you're Canadian, yeah. maybe Canadians have heard of it. Yeah. But tell us a little bit about the business and what it does and how you got into doing this. So the, the pitch that captures everyone's attention is Irene is an online funeral home. And you say that and everyone goes, what does that mean? And it, it's actually very interesting. And I'll tell you the backstory of it. The, the whole Irene experience the online funeral home parts comes from, it's very serendipity. So I, I co-founded with my co-founder, Mallory, and the way we met was also very just by chance. And the way the business happened is by chance as well, where I was in Japan and I had met partially, it's very interesting how the whole story adds up where, and if you look back, you're like, oh, it looks like it was scripted, but it's not really, it's just pure luck where with the first company, so when I dropped out, I joined this company called Kobo. And Kobo had sold to another big organization named Rakuten, and Rakuten put in a new CEO. And when that new CEO joined, it's a really sharp man named Taka, I, being employee number 400 of that company, just like reached out to Taka and I said, hey, cool, you joined. I'm a software engineer working on the Android team. I'd love to go out for coffee. Taka did not go out for coffee with me, but Taka instead said, great to meet you. And I was super happy. I imagine like a 23-year-old kid, just very happy that the boss responded to you. And then Taka ran a business competition. I won that business competition. And it's funny, I won it, but I already had signed a job offer for another company. So I won it, I presented, and I just left. But I stayed in touch with Taka. So flash forward many, many years, going to Japan, I see that Taka's in Japan. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize he had left Kobo. And so I reach out to him and he invites me uh, to what he's doing. And he was running a business called Kamakura Shinso, which was essentially a uh, Buddhist cremation service, but in Expedia format, where you can go on and you can search for the Buddhist cremation that is most, that, that you want. You know, if you want a service, if you want like a prayer, et cetera, et cetera. And so I got very excited where I said, wow, I've never thought about death in terms of a business that is something that is that can be technology enabled. And so I started thinking about that constantly. And this was March of 2018. So I come back to Toronto and I'm thinking about, well, how do I do this business? Because I didn't know anyone in the funeral industry. I had identified that there's clearly an issue where all the funeral homes are so physical, but I, I didn't know how to get break into the funeral world or anything. So by chance, I'm introduced to, through a mutual friend, through my now business partner, and her and I are speaking at this coffee shop about just random ideas, because she wanted to leave her work and start a business as well. And so we're talking and 25 minutes go by and no real idea sticks. And then as we're paying the bill, I ask her, okay, what's your big idea? In my mind, she's very smart, but both her and I haven't been able to come up with an interesting idea. And then she says, oh, what's weird is my dad is a funeral director. And I go, hold up. So she goes, I've always thought about building something in death. And Taka had given me this pitch deck. So I reach out in my backpack and pull out this pitch deck, all crumpled up. I'm very disorganized in my backpack. And uh, I pull it out. And it's this entire like map that he gave me about how Buddhist cremations work in Japan and all the services he's doing. Now, what's interesting is none of that is what we're doing in Canada, but it's this idea of doing something in death. And so her and I started talking because no one else talks about this. Imagine going somewhere and being like, hey, I want to build something in death. They'd be like, what the hell? And so it was purely fate and coincidence that we met. And so we started talking in 2018 about, okay, let's build something inside of death. And what can we build? So we did market research. We started talking to a lot of people. I did the whole business 101 thing. And we eventually came to this idea of Irene, the online funeral home. And the idea essentially is let's replace physical funeral homes, offer the exact same experience at an affordable price, at a high quality affordable price, but it's the exact same experience where you 
still will get your loved one cremated. But the Irene experience of you interacting with the funeral home is fundamentally different now. Typically, when you interact with the funeral home, you would drive there, you would sit down with the funeral director, funeral director will tell you all your options, and there's a lot of hidden charges. We've all heard the stories about funeral industry. So we said, well, how can we make it extremely transparent and basically change that part of the experience? And basically lower our margins, I mean, lower our overhead by not having a physical space where that way we can serve families wherever they are in Canada, in a regulated environment. And so that's Irene. And so we first started in Ontario. Uh, so for the listeners, it's a, it's a province in, Ontario, in Canada. And we said, okay, we're going to start in Ontario. And the reason we did that is, A, we're in Ontario and each province, each state, has a different licensing regulatory body. And so we launched, we started there and the regulatory body was very confused at first because they didn't know if this was even something that should be allowed. Because uh, if you think about it, funeral industry, the regulations aren't as updated as you would think about like television or uh, technology, right? It, that, that's like every two months, there's a new technology, you got to update this. In a lot of ways, like Uber, we had to, talk to the regulatory body and push them to understand what our business model is and how we're good for the consumer. It took us a year and a half almost. And uh, from the time where we said, hey, we're going to launch this. And we finally got it in November of 2020. Since then, we've been able to expand across all provinces. We're now expanding internationally as well. And that's just been each province we go to the and the provinces we decide it's families reaching out to us and saying, I heard about you. You took care of my friend's dad or et cetera, et cetera. We want the Irene experience. And so fundamentally, if you think about how the funeral home process is, the way Irene is different is you can be anywhere in your safe space. If you just lost your mom, the last thing you want to do is get in a car and drive around. You're grieving. You want to spend time with your family. And so with Irene, you can go online or you can call us. You can call us at like 2.15 a.m. in the morning. A licensed funeral director will pick up, talk to you, and we will send the transfer service to pick up your loved one, take them to the crematorium. They get cremated, and we hand deliver uh, the remains back. During this entire process, you technically never have to leave your home. If you want to stay with your family, you can. You will get a DocuSign, you'll sign it. Everything's online or via phone, so you never have to leave your safe space and deal with all these things that you shouldn't really be, have to be dealing with. That's so compassionate. And I really enjoy how you described how you've set up this business really with the, the end user, the client in mind and at heart that you can't fail when you have those those values. That is a learning just from all these years of trying businesses, some succeeding, some failing. It's just ultimately what matters is the consumer. And in a business like ours, what matters is the family. Not, it's not just a singular person we're dealing with. Uber, you're just dealing with one passenger going from point A to point B. Irene is just not dealing with the direct person. We're dealing with the entire family. They just lost someone very close to them that's very extremely important. And so there's a lot to, we have to focus on the user. And then when we talk about technology, that technology is, is like completely seamless to the user. From the user's point of view, they're talking to our funeral director, they're signing the documents. All the automation, the innovation, the AI that we've introduced, it's all on the backend operation side for the funeral director side. So they can be ironic. A lot of people go, well, it's online, so it's not human. What we've done is by leveraging technology and AI, we've made the business more human because we let the funeral director give the funeral director back most of their time back so they can spend time with the family, right? The average arrangement that a funeral director might make with all the paperwork, documents, regulatory things that they have to do might take like six, seven hours. On our system, we built something called Funeral OS. It takes 10 minutes. So now the funeral director can serve more families and also spend meaningful time with the family, talking to them versus saying, okay, thanks, ABC, I need to fill out these documents and get back to you. 
And so Funeral OS, I love the name, by the way, is that also available to other funeral homes or funeral directors as a software? No, that is right now a proprietary Irene thing. Only Irene funeral directors, like it's our secret sauce. It's what helps us scale. Because if you think about it, this is a very interesting business where Funeral OS, and we can talk about this when it comes to just business 101, we didn't build the business with Funeral OS. On day one, Funeral OS didn't exist because how would we know what needs to be automated? We have funeral directors on staff, but instead of wasting years building this technology, we built the technology as the needs came up, as we saw families interact. So after having been in this business for three years, we've seen every different permutation of problem and Funeral OS can address that. So Funeral OS is a a secret sauce uh, that just works at Irene. And was that something you created with your tech background? Yes. And that's what I've always strived to do, which is I'm not just a here, I'm not just an engineer. It's been more so how do we identify problems and apply technology to solve these problems? And there's some problems that just can't be solved by technology. And I recognize that. And that's the non-engineer part of me. So how can we build processes to solve these problems? And then how can we sometimes automate those processes using technology? So it's just this accumulation of a lot of different businesses that I've been part of and helped scale up where I'm like, we could take this AI, we could take this NLP natural language parsing uh, from this uh, company that I worked at before, this ideas that we built. So applying all that to this is just a culmination of all that. Yeah, it makes so much sense. It's interesting because death is something we don't like to talk about. I think very much, especially in the Western culture. So how do you kind of get around that and get the word out about what you do? How do you market your services? Well, death is something that no one likes to talk about. It was something everyone needs. And so to market those services, there's no secret sauce to it. It's just offering a great service and being there when the customer needs it, right? So if the family goes on Google, family can go, okay, cremation in Ottawa. And Irene will pop up. And that's because we are fundamentally, from our core, we're a technology company. We're offering a very compassionate service that five stars for each family, but we understand how the technology works. Because if you look at the funeral industry, it hasn't evolved uh, in all these years. And and what I was going to say earlier was it hasn't evolved and it's also stayed static. So when a funeral home is created, it can only serve a radius of X kilometers. But Irene serves everywhere. And so Funeral OS is built with that in mind, where how do you take all this volume of families coming in? We do most likely, and I don't have the numbers on me, but we do most likely more funeral cremation than most funeral homes can ever do. That's because most funeral homes don't operate across Canada. And if they do, they're a a amalgamation of multiple funeral homes bought out by a bigger player. And so... And it's multiple employees at location. We have like a set of Ontario team that serves Ontario, but we have licensed funeral directors who are licensed across provinces. And so they can serve multiple provinces. And so when we advertise, it's really because we understand technology, we're able to build great SEO, build great brand content. And so families are able to find exactly what they need, whether they need us now or whether they need us six months from now, they can discover us online. So how does it work? Because you can serve so many different areas at once. Is it that you have partnerships built with different crematoriums? Is is that what you've had to build? Exactly, right? And so the crematoriums, because we're a licensed funeral home, we can work with crematoriums uh, because we actually have a license that says Irene is a funeral home, Irene, and there's like all these designations, right? And so... If a family, if a loved one passes away in, say, Hamilton, uh, we have a crematorium there. Once we take the family, uh, send out the transfer service, we know exactly, Funeral OS knows exactly where the family, which crematorium the family will, uh, where the loved one will go to. And so really the, the family is notified of all this. There's transparency throughout the whole process, which is really interesting because like 
the family can see we've built what we call an arrangement uh, tracker where you can see where your loved one is at every step of the process. This gives the family a lot of visibility and transparency because Funeral OS, this was built into Funeral OS as a need where families would call us six months into the business, families would say, well, has my loved one been cremated yet? Or what's the status of my loved one? And I thought, well, that's the most, in a lot of ways, that's a very anxiety inducing state of sitting there and going, I don't know where my loved one is right now. So I'm going to have to call them. And then you have to pick up your phone and call. Well, why not just if you're in bed or whatever, just click on the link and see what the status of your loved one is. If you know they got cremated, you're going to get a phone call, you're going to get documents. And so families love that. They use it all the time. And so the funeral can figure out where that's happening. The human intervention is the funeral director always says, looks at everything and says, yes, this is correct. And when that is correct, the funeral director signs off on it. There's like a checklist, an audit trail that happens. Internally, I, I make fun of them. Like it's like a blockchain because it's all immutable, but it's an audit trail. It's a digital trail of every action the funeral director has taken on our system so that if there's ever a mistake, you know, the regulatory body, if the regulatory body says, hey, we would like to see uh, what happened on case one to one, you can see from start to finish all the actions taken by everyone involved in this, the payments, the IP logs, everything, that's funeral OS. That's offering more transparency than any funeral home could ever give you. And Faisal, again, this transparency is what brings peace of mind. We've heard Absolutely. stories about people not even being sure that the what was brought back to them in an urn related to the body or the person that sure, left yeah. the house. I mean, you hear these stories, people just not even sure that they just there's too much mystery around it from the time they they say their final farewell to the time they have an urn back on their mantle. It's just the unknown. It's an abyss. And as you said, it's a very much an anxiety-inducing time for someone who's mourning and grieving. So uh, exactly. I just, yeah, I really honor that process that you've used technology to bring so much heart to such a sensitive industry or topic for people. And if we can just stay on the marketing thing for a second longer, you say there's no secret source. But when I look at your website, I reckon there is, because it's a very <laughs> light-hearted website. There's not photos of you, headshots, all serious, as you might expect. There's icons. What do we call them? Illustrations. Yeah, illustrations yeah. of each of you and a little bit about each of you. And it's a very accessible, friendly, soft, and a little bit fun brand, I would say. Absolutely. The, the secret sauce is the experience that uh, the, the founders, myself and my, my co-founder have, because we've been in the tech industry for so long, we understand what customers want. If you look at that funeral industry, it hasn't changed, but customers have changed. If you go to 1900, 1901, there's a funeral home there. The way you interact with that funeral home in 1901 is still fundamentally the same way you interact with it in 2023, 2024. But everything else in your life, you interact with it in a different way. So why has suddenly we've forgotten about how do we interact with the funeral home? You interact with as something as simple as buying groceries in a different way, right? So what about death? And so customers have evolved, consumers have evolved. And so that's how our secret sauce is we've also been in seeing transformation in different industries. I used to work at a company that was basically building ChatGPT before ChatGPT. And uh, we were trying to break into the enterprise. And so I was able to understand how do we build products that can be simplified to just a text box? Another company I worked for was a health insurance company. And there I learned a lot about health, sa safety, security, building better branding, all that stuff. And because I've, whenever I join a company, I start off as an engineer, but I quickly move into different roles because just writing code is just it's like hammering a nail, but I need to understand what we're building. And so I would talk to a product, I would get into the design of it. I'm a terrible designer, but just the UX of it. And so get into all these things, you get to get the whole, you understand the whole picture. And so 
the same way when we started building Irene, we need to build this as something that consumers know it has evolved with them. And it's not something that you're going to struggle with because the interfaces are so different now. I am curious, why did you call it Irene? Is there something behind that? No, a lot of people think it's either my grandma or my co-founder's grandma's name. Uh, but Irene means, Irene's a goddess of peace and serenity. It's a, it's a state of peace. And so Irene, one meaning is that. The other reason is Irene is a woman's name. And if you look at how death is handled in North America, and I would probably guess around the world, probably even more in Asia, is that the woman is primarily the first point of contact when a death occurs, the woman is typically making these arrangements, tasked with these the responsibility. So while the brand isn't feminine in the sense that it's not like it's not Barbie, but when you go on to Irene, there's this clear division of this is a state of peace. Like you said, you felt peaceful when you were looking at Irene. And so that's why we called it Irene. Yeah, I like it a lot. But one thing to add is we also did not want to call it Faisal's cremation or uh, John's cremation one, two, three, as typical funeral homes are. And that's, again, because funeral homes were named that way in 1901. There wasn't Google Maps. So if, so if someone had to go somewhere, you said, go to John's funeral home down the street. So everyone knew where John's funeral home was. But why has the naming scheme evolved? And so, hence, I read, it's a brand the scalable brand is designed. It's not just cremation. It's your one-stop shop for everything death-related to get that content and understanding. I totally get it. I think it's a beautiful name and I love the meaning of it so much. But I'm curious, when you first launched, because this is so different, were, were there struggles? What was it like when you first launched the business? <laughs> I like a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> so every time I launch a business, it's always like, well... It was fun building it. I guess no one's going to use it. So might as well, whatever. My mind goes, I learned a lot building it. So we'll see what happens. But I remember finally getting this license. And co-founder and I, we meet up and we have to get one person to use this. That's it. And that goes back to not building funeral OS and stuff. It wasn't designed. First version of Irene in December of 2020 was designed to handle probably just like a couple of cremations a month. Uh, there was no automation. Everything was done manually in the back end, And so we said we have to get one. So we had limited capital. There was probably four people, myself, my co-founder, a licensed funeral director, and I think it was only three. I'm sure I'm missing somebody. And so the idea was, okay, let's figure out how to get customers. Oh, right. We had a marketing person. And so... All, all we did was her and I just got on to Google Ads and uh, just figured out what to do. None of us knew how to advertise a funeral home. None of us. We were just starting from scratch. And I, I eventually took over most of digital marketing from the paid marketing aspect of just understanding how Google Ads works, understanding SEO, and just built that month by month, figuring out. We had our first cremation uh, of that month. We were all very excited, but then we were very sad to realize that it was a referral. And I was like, no, can't have a referral. I want somebody who's never heard of us, right? Like that is the true mark of success. And then we actually did someone, and God bless this person, because from their point of view, I would say we did an excellent job at communicating because we had no reviews, no one had heard about us, but this person trusted us, trusted the brand and called us and said, how do you work XYZ? And then they converted and they used Irene. And for us, that was such a excellent moment that we are doing something right. It may not be product market fit, but people have a use for this. And that person left us five stars. Then the next month we had two cremations and we got more excited. And now we have so many that, I mean, I, I don't know if that number is public, but we do so many cremations now. And that's why funeral OS is needed. All that stuff's needed. And I look back and I go, there was for a time an internal goal that we wanted 
every day a family to use us. And I said, we need to have 30 families use us. And I used to like, that was the benchmark to hit. We've got blown past that benchmark. And I look back and like, wow, I used to think when we got that first one, how in the world are we going to get 30? And now across Canada and everywhere. So each time a family went through, we learned from the family, what we could do better, why they used us, how they discovered us. And we just doubled down on it. It was the most, uh, I figured out the secret formula. The formula is a tried and true business fundamentals. Talk to your customer ask them what they liked about your product, what we could improve on, fix it. Then second customer comes in, do the same. I still listen to almost all phone calls that happen on our system where we've built a lot of AI. The AI does a lot of very interesting things, but one of it, it assists me to quickly understand what's happening on the phone calls. And so every time a phone call comes in, I am guaranteed to read it and I will see what the family's asking. and if there's ever something like the family's like, oh, you know, I was on your site and a pop-up kept showing up and like, it was really annoying. I will figure out what they're talking about and we will fix that because people are going through a very emotionally vulnerable state. We're not running like Snapchat or something where it's a bug and it's okay. You're already grieving. The last thing you want is some annoying something happening on the website. And Ultimately, it's technology. Things can go wrong. Browsers and phones and Samsung browsers are weird all the time. So something can always happen. And it's our job to quickly fix, figure that, address that, apologize to the family if it's needed, if we need to, but then fix it for the next family. It doesn't have to go through technological issues. Yeah, that sounds really like that's the key to your success is that attention to detail and the willingness to resolve matters quickly absolutely we help new businesses to launch their business so that they do reach success and we like to ask this question of our podcast guests what is that secret ingredient what is that one thing if you had to pinpoint one thing that really tipped you from startup to success would you be able to name that yeah just perseverance the Doing the boring things, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, and I and I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, and they all like the fun stuff. And the fun stuff is maybe speaking on a podcast like this, but the fun stuff is like going out on an event or winning some award or whatever, and, and obviously making money. But I would say business is probably 98% boring art stuff and 2% fun stuff. But the 2% fun stuff makes up for all the 98% boring hard stuff. But the 98% boring hard stuff is the most critical important things like just fixing issues or building new features that can help. They might, sometimes this might not be the most revolutionary new feature you're working on or talking to families, like doing something went wrong. Like these are hard stuff, boring stuff that you have to do. and a lot of entrepreneurs hire right away. And one of the things we did, did not do, mainly because we couldn't afford it, but also something I've learned through businesses that I have been part of and have failed, and even businesses that I've done that have failed is, if you hire for something that you don't understand fully, you will probably have a bad hire. And in an early stage company, that bad hire will probably take you off the route and unless you have a lot of funds to bring you back course correct, your business will probably die. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example of a B2B sales company I was part of. And the founder, excellent founder, but we could not understand how to sell the product. So what we did was the founder hired a salesperson. And that to a 25-year-old me, thought that was a great solution. Like, yeah, this guy came in, great suit. I'm like, this guy's going to sell. He knows how to sell. But he could not sell. And why? Because the founder himself could not figure out how to sell the product. And so when it comes to marketing or engineering or product, only now after raising a seed have we hired head of marketing, digital marketing manager, content, all these things, because both my co-founder and I 
have done all the jobs that are possible in this company and figured out what we need to do. Other than being a funeral director, which you have to be licensed for, my co-founder deals with finance, operations. Now we're finally hiring finance and operation. I deal with the digital marketing, um, whether it's our engineering, now we're hiring more engineers. So like, unless you know what you're hiring for or why you're hiring this person, you're going to have a bad hire and it's going to cost you. And the, and the number one reason why businesses fail is because you waste too much money. I think if everyone had a cheat code and everyone had a trillion dollars, every single business would be a success. Yeah. It's not about the money. It's about the people and the, yeah. the impact they can have even on culture too. Absolutely. You know, this culture is really important as well. What's your thoughts on yeah. that? I have seen this at every company I've worked for, including Irene. There's people that you can hire that could be A players in another company, but they can be your B players. And you don't want B players when you're just starting off. When you have three, four people, and so sometimes there's a sunk cost fallacy. And I've seen this at another organization where they hired a top, top talent from another company. And you saw this uh, person's resume on LinkedIn and you're like, wow, like this is going to be amazing. But that person was an A plus player for that company, but that person just did not fit culturally at this company. And unfortunately, the founder decided, no, we have to keep this person. And the culture really went bad. Like people, I remember I didn't want to go to work because I'm like, oh my God, I got to deal with this dude again. Or on the flip side, sometimes other companies, B players can be your A++++ players. And I've seen that happen too, where you hire somebody, and this was another organization as well. We hired somebody and nothing exciting resume. They, they said their skill sets are great, but they didn't work for Microsoft or some sexy company, but they joined and you're like, wow, I don't know how this business would have succeeded if this person didn't join. That energy they bring, that positivity, but at that company, they, might, they probably got like, I think this person that I'm talking about probably had got laid off from this company just because they didn't fit. And so culture is like relationships. Sometimes you're in a bad relationship. It's not your fault, not the other person's fault. Then you both meet someone else and wow, it's an amazing relationship both of you have. So true. And Faisal, you talked a little earlier about a number of businesses that you've been a part of that have failed. So yeah. let's explore that a bit. We don't need the details necessarily, but what is your mindset around failure? How do you manage it? The first time it sucks. The first business you will ever run and fails will always suck terribly. And so when my first business failed, it was absolutely awful. For, for a lot of parts, there's this feeling of, damn, like I dropped out of university and my friends were like, oh, that's amazing. Faisal, Faisal's the next Bill Gates, blah, 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 dropping out. And then like you're paying yourself $200 a month and ultimately the business fails and you're like, wow, how am I going to ever talk to these people? Reality is none of these people care, <laughs> but you internally internalize that. Then you start thinking about the parents. You know, I told my parents, just give me a year, give me another year. And now you go, damn, they were right all along. I should have just stayed in school. And as a kid, you never want to be, be like, yeah, my parents. And then the other thing is, then you start to think, if only I had stayed in school, all, if I have to go back to school now, I'm going to be two years behind. The whole world's going to move forward. So it sucks. But then you fail a second time. What I did wrong this time around, then you fail a third time and you're like, okay, whatever. Now my thing is, sure, it happened. Why did it fail? I see it in a more operational view rather than an emotional view where I'm like, this fails. This is why it failed. This is how we address it. This is how we move on. And so, and I think it's very important to, and I've said this to a friend of mine, she had a great business. It didn't work out. I think it didn't work out primarily because it wasn't a founder market fit. The product definitely has a fit, but she wasn't the right person to run the business. And so I told her that instead of jumping into another business right away, get a job and get a job because the most important thing right now is you recoup those savings and that money. Because when you have the money and you have the savings, then you can start another business. And if that fails, you're not like destitute sleeping on, sleeping on the roads or something, right? I think a lot of this is romanticized where like, yeah, you're a starving entrepreneur and stuff. But 
when you go down that path of being like a starving entrepreneur, you start making decisions solely based on how do I live my life for another week versus decisions that are good for the business overall. And that's why it's very important when you're starting a business that most likely it's going to fail, but you have to know, you have to have that runway, that personal runway, not just business runway to handle that failure and retry again. And that's what I did. And when I got a job, the whole purpose of getting that job was I could pay myself some money. I wasn't thinking, well, I'm going to save this money to buy a house. No, I was saving this money so I can run another business. And that was purely, that's exactly why I did that. In fact, what I did was I got a job. And then that evening I went home and I incorporated a new business. I called it Dynamatic and it was for consulting. And I said, I'm going to do consulting and I'm going to talk to entrepreneurs I had met in Toronto that had already built businesses. And if they need consulting, because mobile development was really hot back then, I'll build your mobile app for free. You don't have to worry about anything, but I want a seat at the table. I will stay quiet, but you, I want you to talk to your co-founders, your business people, whatever. I want to see what you're doing. It's kind of like forced mentorship. And so I used to go to their offices at like 6, 7 p.m. and just like watch them talk because it was a startup. They were working late. And sometimes I would just skip work. I would tell Kobo, oh, you know, I feel sick today. I'm not coming in. And I would just go to their office. And they were happy. They, I was getting some equity, but uh, so like a small options. But they were happy because instead of paying me 50K, they were getting the app done for free. And so they just brought me in. They thought, yeah, look at this guy. He's just getting it done for free. But you know what? I learned so much, more than $50,000 worth. And I did this multiple times. And so all of this, everything I've done was designed so I could start another business. And then even when I did start another business, I didn't go, all right, I'm leaving my job. After 6 p.m., came home, started working on that business up to a certain point where I said, now I can go full time. And for some businesses, I just let them run because I'm like, cool, it's making me some money on the side. No problem. And I'll just look at another business now. So, and some business that I failed, I'm like, well, it failed, but it's not like I have to look for another job or anything. It just didn't work out. I don't know how to explain it, but it's about being, not being afraid to take the risk, but yeah. you still kept yourself a safety net. It's being pragmatic. I think when you're dealing with risk, there is smart risk and there is stupid risk. Stupid risk is I'm going to leave all my job, go massively into debt for this business. And that's like playing, going to Las Vegas and playing the casino. Technically, there is a one in a trillion chance I could take out all my savings, put it on red, win it, and I'm a multimillionaire, $50 million in my bank. <laughs> There's a 99.999% chance that's not going to happen. And so I tell entrepreneurs, it's like this. You're playing a game. Business is a game. And it's an arcade machine. And you have a bunch of quarters. And the more quarters you have, the better you'll get at the game and the higher chance you are to win it. That win could be anything. That win is defined differently for everyone. Maybe for someone that win is, I want $10,000 in salary every month and I've won the game. For someone else, maybe that win is I want to take my company to IPO. But the main fundamentals are you need to have enough quarters to keep playing the game. And so I've always thought of it as this is an arcade machine. And, and you, you lose all the time on an arcade machine, like most of the time. But every time you play the game, you get better. And so that's how I have done operated and I continue to operate where, cool, I'm getting better at this. Okay, no, this didn't work out. And sometimes it doesn't mean the whole business fails. It's like, like just learning Google Ads. I don't come from a marketing background, but I learned Google Ads and I did an excellent job to grow Irene this far to a point where we now can hire a digital marketing manager that can run our Google Ads. And most months I did not know what the hell I was doing and we wasted a lot of money. But every time we wasted money, I learned why it was a waste and we kept playing. So it's about playing that arcade machine. I like that. I like the idea of business as being a game too, because I think it takes away some of the fear of the starting of it. 
And it's really smart when you have quarters in your back pocket. Don't put yeah. all the quarters on the table right away. Keep some in the back pocket. Some great advice there. I really think uh, hopefully anybody out there who's thinking about starting a business, doing a side hustle right now, like this is really good advice before you really kick it into high gear. And, you know, see if the thing you're trying to do is going to be a success too, right? Exactly. You can test it. You can use that time to test it out. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why I said I didn't like the word hustle, hustler before was there's this idea of like, hustle porn where it's like you gotta like roll the dice and you have to win and you're like that that's you're gambling and you're not playing a game you're literally gambling and if you're gambling most of the time you're gonna lose all the time you're gonna lose other than one chance and so what's the point of gambling you might as well play the game in a very method like a good method i can't even say that word right now but you could play it in a very in an algorithmic way and you can learn how to win it versus the hustle culture of like, leave your job, you gotta like, just go full on focus, you have to focus, but you can focus from after six o'clock till your business has some momentum, then you leave your job, then you can pay yourself. And sure, you might not be paying yourself your full full time salary, but you de risk yourself at every single point of the way. Because if you look at it, what an investor does, if you're investing in a business, you know, or even if you're like, you, you got you're working with customers and, and, a, and a startup and a customer comes to you and says, I want to build an idea. You're helping them start a business. And what you're doing internally is de-risking your time and commitment. You're saying, does this person have money? Yes. But does this person seem like someone that wants to run a business? Does this person have a good insight into the market? Or are they just like, if I wanted to start a satellite company, I don't know the first thing about satellites, right? But I could have all the money. I could say, I $10,000 to help me start this business. So you're de-risking. So you should be de-risking yourself as well. And every step of the way, you de-risk yourself slightly till you can fully pay yourself and hire people and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Not only are you a very wise entrepreneur, you're also quite a resilient one. So of course we're resilient entrepreneurs. We always oh, yeah. like to ask the question, <laughs> what does it take to become resilient? What in your opinion is, is the most important part? Not being afraid to mess up and and when I say not being afraid, it's you're going to feel bad and you have to feel afraid. No one is fearless. I think that's a lie. I think it's stepping outside of that comfort zone and going, yes, I'm afraid, but I'm still going to do this and we're going to figure it out because most of these decisions are quickly course corrected. You, you make a bad hire, quickly fire them. You start a business that doesn't work, shut it down, start another one, change ideas et cetera, et cetera. I guess conquering your fears, you just have to step out of your comfort zone. That's it. I don't think there's any waking up at 4 a.m. and drinking coffee and crazy YouTube videos you see. Or like, all that's nonsense. You just need to be very resilient and know that whatever happens, here's what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to be afraid. It's going to suck. You're probably going to cry. You're probably going to feel like all this is useless. But despite all of that, you still have to go, keep going. You will feel those emotions. A lot of people go, I'm feeling like I'm not going to do this. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. No, I, I am sure, guaranteed, even someone as successful as Bill Gates, when they were starting it with all the safety nets, they still felt that. Everyone does. It's a human emotion to feel afraid, to feel, to self-doubt, everything. Like I was reading something very recently on, uh, Lady Gaga, and it was like something like tons of music producers said no to her, and et cetera, et cetera. She had lots of self-doubt and all that stuff, but she kept going. And I sometimes think about all these businesses, not businesses, entrepreneurs, because they could be a lot of shitty ideas, but all, all these entrepreneurs who are very smart, who give up because of that first no, or because of that 10th no, 100th no. So many investors did not want to invest in Irene. And now we just closed the seed rounds. We have a really good VC that's amazing, helping us scale up. But equally, there's been so many investors who are like, no, I don't think death needs to be disrupted. Or why can't just the big guy do this? Or X this or X that. My first business when I was 16 years old and doing something like this, maybe I would have been like, oh crap, he's right. Why would I do this? But after going through so much, I'm like, what the hell do you know? We'll figure it out. And then <laughs> no one knows anything. A lot of people forget that everyone is sort of 
Say that again. <laughs> no one knows anything. Everyone is cosplaying the best version of themselves. If someone tells you, no, this idea doesn't work. Okay, sure. Are you a fortune teller? Sure, thanks. Great. I will move on to someone else. And you keep doing that. You will find somebody. You keep iterating. You understand. Take criticism, constructive criticism. Maybe the nine things that person said are bullshit. But one thing that person said, maybe it's true, right? Maybe the idea doesn't work because you're charging too much money. So think back and then maybe tweak it, experiment. So it's about doing those cycles. Take the feedback, but don't stop at the no. Oh, yeah. I think that is the key. I think a lot of people, you know, we don't talk enough about a J curve in business, but it's very, very real. When you start out, you are so along this path and you're like, it's kind of working, not working, kind of working, not working. You just kind of trailing yeah. along and then nothing happens. And then one day Absolutely. you hit that tipping point and you get that yes. And you get that yeah. investment and you find that person that believes in you and you find those customers that start referring you and everything's all the pieces fit together because you've done the work, you've taken the feedback, you've understood the market, you do all the business one-on-one stuff like you've just suggested and the pieces come together. And it's about holding on for that. That's hard. I know for a lot of people and I know a lot of people want to quit along the journey because it's really hard. I think when you find a great team, like you suggested today, when yes. you have a great partner makes a huge difference. When you have that investor that fully believes in you and supports you and says, you guys got something, go for it. I'm behind you. Here's the money. Yeah. It changes everything. Right. So it's about finding that. I think that is such a great, hopefully summation of what we've just talked yes. about. I appreciate you so much. This has been a great conversation and a very interesting one because we don't talk about topics like this enough. And it's amazing to know. And I think this is a note that you can apply technology to any business and Absolutely. change it in a fundamental Absolutely. way. 100%. Like, come on, everybody, let's go. Let's understand tech. Let's accept tech. There's people who are still on the fence about AI and afraid of what's coming. Absolutely, there is amazing uses yes. and we've just shared one here today. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This was awesome. I'm sure our listeners are gonna take a lot from this conversation. Welcome, thanks for having me.